Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. If you look at people who seem like they've got it all sorted out, the reality is they probably don't. They're just better at conveying that image. How did you get on the leadership track? If you've got that drive and energy and you believe in something, you can bring people along with you. Little by little, I realized that to become a leader, people need to relate to you and they need to understand where you're coming from. What was the lowest moment? well you've not done an mba or you don't have business experience and so that was quite tough to sort of hold out and say no i can do something hi this is imran ahmed founder and ceo of the business of fashion we have a special episode of the bof podcast for you today recorded live in conversation with stephanie fair chief strategy officer of farfetch and chairman of the british fashion council now stephanie has had an incredible career in the fashion industry. She's worked for industry legends like Anna Wintour and Natalie Massonet. She's worked in entrepreneurial environments. She's worked in publishing. She's worked in technology. So we thought, who better to speak to than Stephanie to talk about what it's like to build a career in the fashion industry, especially as a woman. We all know that the fashion industry is primarily targeted at women, but there's so few women who have reached the top echelons of the fashion industry. So we wanted to get Stephanie's advice for all of you out there looking to build your career in fashion. So here's Stephanie Fair, Inside Fashion. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us today. Man. I thought we should start a little bit with your personal experience first, right? And 
Um, in your career, I wondered, you know, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about when you first encountered strong female leaders and how that maybe shaped kind of your own leadership approach and style? Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for coming. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this topic and hopefully um, some of my experiences or what I've gathered along the way can help everyone. Um, around encountering strong female leaders, I've been really lucky. I've mostly worked for female leaders. Um, and my first job when I moved to New York after university uh, was with a small PR agency, a startup called Siren PR, and the founder, um, Winnie Beatty, uh, was, I thought, wise and uh, very old. She was 23. Um, but uh, she was the first person who employed me. And really, it was nothing other than it was, um, she was the one who was willing to sponsor me for a visa. So that's why I took that job rather than at Paribas, uh, which would have led me in an entirely different direction. Sure. But I, I, I learned a lot from her. She was um, ambitious, eager, um, and she really didn't think that her age was a barrier at all. Uh, we uh, were tiny, we were four people in a, essentially a startup agency, and she said, clients can't know what it's really like behind this door. I, in other words, fake it till you make it. So uh, my first job, she would have us answer as our own assistant. So the phone would ring. Sue's phone. Stephanie Fair's office. Yes, let me go and get her for you. Uh, I'd go and get myself, and then I'd pick up the phone again. And I think it's a silly story, but it said so much about how um, you, you just have to move through life. And if you look at people who seem like they've got it all sorted out, the reality is they probably don't. They're just better at conveying that, that image. And then over your career, you continue to work with other strong female leaders. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you learned from them, perhaps? I did. I, uh, I worked in New York again. Uh, I, I was approached by Vogue and worked at American Vogue on the editorial side. Um, and that's where I really came across um, Anna Wintour, who really has a reputation that that, that precedes her. And I, I was lucky enough to be able to interact with her, but also to spend a lot of time quietly listening to her. I mean, literally, I, my office was my office, my desk. <laughs> I didn't, I was, I was very junior at the time, was sort of outside her office. So I could hear her and I could, I could listen to her interactions. And I learned so much from that. I learned about um, being decisive. She's well known for being a decisive leader. So she gives people the confidence because she gives people direction. And I thought, um, you know, you may be right, you may be wrong, but you're giving people the confidence to just move forward. Um, and I really learned about the business of fashion. Um, you know, years later, you founded the business of fashion. But yeah. I realized that fashion went so much beyond styling and editorial and all the things that consumers could see because she was constantly connecting people. Um, whether it was a young designer to investors to a big conglomerate, she she really saw the 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 guts behind the fashion industry, and so I learned from her. I think I mean many many things, but being decisive and also um, the fact that you can really use um, your power for good and really make connections in the background, and that fashion is a, is a valuable um, industry. Is she as tough as everyone says she is? 
she 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 is tough. She's a businesswoman, and right. she knows what she wants, and and uh, and she expects the best from people. Um, but also, I think her her character. She's she's had a a persona built around her, and she's in a way in that persona. But as a as a person, she's incredibly giving and very very loyal for the people who worked for her. And then another amazing woman that you worked for not very far from here actually was Natalie Massey. No, just behind here. Exactly. Yeah. It's like your old haunt, um, your own stopping grounds. You know, that's a, another completely different leadership style, Natalie. Yeah. How, how, how was it working for someone like Natalie? Inspirational. She's a visionary and she saw things before anyone else did. And um, I think between it, it was a combination, Natalie and Mark Seba, who was uh, her CEO. But I think they really created the concept of culture and mission-driven businesses before it was a, a cool thing to do in order to employ millennials. It really was something that the business stood for. And really the idea that if you've got that drive and energy and vision and, uh, and, and you believe in something, you can bring people along with you. And it's so important because work is tough. It's not always fun. It's you know, not not a hundred percent of your job is going to be exciting, and so whatever part is is more day to day, you've got to remember the bigger picture. And she was able to do that. Yeah. Um, so that sounds like three. I know you have other professional experiences as well, but that sounds like three very different leadership styles. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> be decisive. Be inspirational. Like as you've kind of been forging your own career and your own trajectory as a leader in our industry. First, you know, how did you get on the leadership track? And two, how did you develop your own leadership style or, you know, approach? Um, so two questions. I think uh, getting on the leadership track, uh, I, I sort of, I, I think I, I bypassed it. I, I sort of, I, I, I short-circuited it by taking a risk and, and really choosing to go for a startup route, um, which wasn't uh, a particularly safe route to take. This was before startups, the word even existed. It was 2004, and I decided to leave Vogue. I very specifically decided to leave in order to focus more on the business side. And no one would hire me at the traditional brands because I didn't have a business background. And so the only people who would hire me were the startup who thought, well, we'll take the sort of fashion connections that come with your, you know, your PR experience. And so that's what got me to a place where I was able to work in an environment where it didn't matter where I stood on the, on the hierarchy. I was able to prove myself. And, and that led to being hired at Net-A-Porter to run a business because I'd already been at a startup. So that's my personal experience on how I sort of got to that place. But I guess I, I, I tried to go along with it and continue to, um, to rise along with it and to continue to, um, in other words, rise to the occasion. Um, so that was the first one. And then my own leadership style, I think it's trial and error. Um, I, I, just, um, I just spoke with, uh, I just did something for the Sunday Times style about that. And I, I didn't know how to be a leader. When I started at the Outnet, it was 10 years ago, almost to the day, 3rd of February, uh, 2009. And uh, there was one employee there, so really had to start from scratch. And I thought that I needed to be that leader that you imagine, which is 
um, professional and, 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 and private. I'm typically a pretty private person, but I thought definitely in, an, in a professional context, you need to be super private. And a, a sort of six months to a year in, um, it was actually my husband who pointed out, um, you know, people need to relate to you. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't say anything at work. If someone said, oh, what did you do over the weekend? I'd say, well, why do you need to know? <laughs> And little by little, I realized that to become a leader, people need to relate to you and they need to understand where you're coming from. And having a balance between sharing who you are as a person, not just their boss, um, but also remaining professional is the right thing. So that was something I had to learn along the way because I, I, I hadn't understood that that was the best way to go. And then I think um, I do remember the decisive lesson. Yeah. I think that always gives comfort. Um, and I've been told, I don't know, but I've been told that I'm very fair and balanced and that I really, I really listen and then make a sort of fair. Um, so hopefully that's true. I try. Were there any moments along the way where you, where you felt like you were in over your head and you weren't sure you know, I think we all have, you know, we all have moments like that when oh, yeah. you feel like you're, I could think people call it the imposter syndrome and you have this big role or this like very powerful boss or you're working in a really famous company and there's a lot of pressure and you don't feel like you're up to it. Like how, what were those moments like for you and how did, how did you get through them? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Um, and I think if you don't have that, you're probably not challenging yourself and you're probably not developing yourself and, and getting into new, new areas. So I think um, certainly the outnet was, was that experience for me because I was um, handed a blank sheet of paper to grow a business. And maybe the expectations were low. I don't know. Maybe no one knew where, where that was heading. And so um, it was up to the team and me to build it. But I, I definitely felt this huge pressure that Net-A-Porté had already been such a success. I mean, it was only 2009, but it was already defining an industry. And that the second brand that Net-A-Porté and Natalie were going to launch couldn't be a flop. It really couldn't. And so I felt that a huge amount of pressure. I never um, built up a team from scratch. Uh, running a P&L, uh, focusing on other areas of the industry. But the reality is, I think, if you think about all of that too much, you never get started and you never do it. Every day you just wake up and put one step forward and the other step forward. And that's, I think, the best piece of advice I've been given, or one of the best pieces of advice. And that's how um, we grew the outnet. You just do what you think you have to do that day and then do it the next day and the next day. And next thing you know, you've got a hundred thousand pounds in sales and then a million and then 10. And then, and then I turned around and seven years later, the business was turning over 150 million pounds. Wow. I mean, if you had told me that I would have said, not me, I can't do that. What was the lowest moment, the hardest moment? Uh, I've had a few. Um, I think uh, definitely in New York um, when I, I, I sort of stumbled into fashion and I stumbled into PR and 
at least my first few jobs, the only reason I was doing them is because I wanted to live in New York. So, um, you know, it's not like I discovered a passion early on. And I think I, I, when I realized that I needed to do something that really um, was uh, challenged me, that went beyond what I thought I could do. Um, and so actually trying to move away from Vogue and find something else was really tough. Um, because I had the visa barrier in the US, but I also had a barrier which is, well, you've not done an MBA or you don't have business experience, you've done PR, you've done... And so that was, that was quite tough to sort of hold out and say, no, I can do something. And I absolutely networked the heck out of, out of that situation to just figure out how to find something. And it was ultimately through uh, a, a, a PR contact of mine, Hamilton South, I don't know if you know yeah. Who introduced me to someone who was starting, and I found that those are the things that get you out of those situations. It's just explaining. I know I, I, it's something that a piece of advice I once heard was that, you know, if you if you have clarity about what you want, yeah. what you're looking for, and you can articulate it to people, it's only then that people can help you. Yeah, you know, and if if people know what you're trying yeah. to get to, they yeah. can. They keep you in the back of your mind or some, a conversation happens and doors can open. People are incredibly helpful. And that's something to remember. Um, I, networking has a sort of a, a bad connotation. It feels a bit self-serving. But actually, it's a two-way street. People, people want to meet people, understand what they're thinking, where they're going. You know, quite selfishly, people want to meet you because they don't know where you'll end up next. And so it is a two-way street. And remember that if you're out there looking... Um, for things, looking for a job, um, people need you as much as they, you know, you need them. And so I think networking should be considered a good thing. I mean, I did it to move from Vogue to Portero, which is a startup. I moved to London without a job to be with my now husband. I talked to everybody. Um, and I actually did it after le leaving that Porte. I, I walked out without a job. Um, wow. And so... It, I, but I've found those times to to really energize me because it puts you out there. So I think it's it's you know you could think of it as I'm unemployed and I'm looking for a job, or you could think about it as this is an amazing opportunity to get that clarity and think about what do I want to do next? How do I put myself out there in the world and get get information back? So when someone reads your CV or your resume and story uh, in the media, it sounds like a fairy tale, right? It sounds like, <laughs> I you know. I don't know about that. You know, well, but it's just, it sounds a lot easier than it might be because, you know, going back to the original purpose of this conversation, there are an incredible number of barriers for women. And, you know, in, in the past when we've done work on this subject at BOF, we've been really surprised. We just don't really understand. And you very helpfully, just before we came on, stage here, Stephanie said, oh, have you, have you heard about this thing called the 30% principle? And um, the key findings are about some myths about women and the workforce. And I thought maybe we could talk about yeah. a few of those myths mm -hmm. as it pertains to your own personal yeah. experience, but then also as it pertains specifically to the fashion industry. So the, the first myth here, it says women don't aspire to senior leadership roles. And the reality says actually women become more ambitious about senior leadership 
as their career progresses. So don't write women off too early. Their ambition goes with experience. What's your reaction to that? I, I think that's actually one of the best lines of that whole page. Absolutely. I think, um, I think women and men, in a way, you end up enjoying and having a passion for what you're good at. And you only become good at it as you do it more. And so this sense that you wake up, you know, first day of your, of, you know, after university or when you graduate and say, I want to be a CEO. I don't think that's true. I think so the bit about women not aspiring to the leadership, I think that's nonsense. Um, I think you have to get some wins and you have to start to. Uh, see your career develop and start to see where the doors can open up and where you can go and then the ambition grows so it's 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 doing first and then the ambition comes so it's it's back to put one step in front one foot in front of the other hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. 
Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Right. Um, the other myth that you often hear is that the thing that gets in the way of women's progression is that women, you know, from a purely biological perspective, are the ones that bear children yeah. and have children. So it says child rearing stops women getting to the top. And the research reality says here says that child rearing slows women's careers down only marginally. More significant promotion gaps emerge earlier on. You have three children. How has it been for you in your experience in terms of having a very active, successful professional life, but also raising a family? Yeah, there's a lot of topics in that line. It's a lot, <laughs> that is a, a, a mega topic right there. Um, I mean, I think the myth about the child rearing. I think it can, it can go both ways. I actually do think that often women drop out of their careers, and I have a view on that, a, a, a very sort of, um, or at least my personal view on that. But I agree that for those who continue um, working with, with children, it might slow them down, but it's not the reason they don't end up in. I, I do believe that there's a, a promotion um, element to that and that's something we can you know we can talk about on the on the child rearing what i've seen and this is personal experience is it is true that women decide that that's the time that they should drop out they they do the math and say i look at my salary i look at the cost of childcare it doesn't match up do you know what maybe i should just stay home and then i see that worries me that worries me on so many accounts because actually Re-entering the workforce is very, very difficult. We live in a fast-paced economy, fashion, digital, tech. It's super fast-paced. Um, dropping out for a number of years, however smart and accomplished um, you are, is very difficult to re-enter. And that's, you know, there are many companies trying to solve that and tackle that. But in a way, my question is, well, how can we avoid women dropping out completely? And how can they continue? And so it's it's about thinking a number of things. It's, is the math the right way to think about it? Should you just think about your own salary and match it up to um, child care? Or should you think about it as a family unit and say, actually, this moment in time is a period in time where my earning potential or the, the you know general earning goes down, but that's a period of time and then it'll go back up again. And so there's quite a bit in that you know, wider document about the fact that looking at um, childbirth and as, you know, a career is a long time and not not thinking about it in a four to five year stretch, but thinking about it in a longer way um, will allow women to um, plan better and say, well, I may, I may slow down, I may drop, but over time I will catch up again. And, and so I think that's really important. Um, Continuing to work, so of course all the policies that companies can um, can implement around family-friendly practices, not just for women but for men, and we're very focused on that at Farfetch. Um, small things, really practical things. I, uh, I, out of personal experience at the Outnet, I realized that women were taking a year a year out. This is very personal. This is my own view. A year is a long time, and maybe. That works for some women, personal decision. For others, they were taking a year when I would ask them, and they said, well, I don't know, I wasn't totally ready at six months, et cetera. Actually, what we did, and we tested this out, we said, if you come back within six months, 
will give you for the next six months, Fridays off or one day off a week, but full pay. And the number of women who came back sooner out of choice because they felt that just that little change made re-entering into, um, you know, back into work slightly more easily. So it's small things. Yeah. You, we were talking earlier about the reality of the fashion industry and fashion week. And very occasionally, if you, if you attend a fashion show, um, you'll see some of the prominent editors or buyers in the industry on a Saturday or a Sunday with their children sitting you know, in front of them in the front row. But actually, there are particular challenges in our industry that make having children while you have a top job as a buyer or an editor or a stylist with all the travel that's involved, mm -hmm. the late nights, the pressure. You know, do you think fashion has a particular issue as it pertains to women and work? Um, it, it's definitely, we, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, it's definitely a, a, a tough schedule to, to follow. If you think about how it's been done traditionally, and I think about this quite a lot in my role at the British Fashion Council, uh, the, the fashion calendar is crazy. It used to be two times a year. It's now four. It's now the whole time, because if it's not pre-collections, it's collections, it's someone's cruise, it's someone's one-off show. And we're sort of in this world between the old world of how it used to be done and the new world of how it may be done in future, leveraging digital. But in the meantime... Um, those editors, buyers, those executives are having to travel to all of these places um, to, to review shows, to do buys. And, and it is very, very challenging. I was talking um, with a number of buyers and they say it's, it's, it's grueling. How do you maintain work-life balance? How do you have a partner? Um, how do you think about kids when you're on a plane sort of nine times in, in the year? And so... Again, this is, this is a personal view, but wondering if that is one of the reasons, back to your statistic about 14 out or of the 50, 50 companies, yeah. if you think that a lot of the, um, the, the skills needed to become leaders and CEOs of these fashion brands is possibly coming from a commercial background, if you think that those women who are buyers who have the, that skill set drop out because they just can't take the schedule, you start to think, well, maybe there's something there. Um, but I'm an optimist. I think technology uh, often comes with solutions. We're looking at things like um, digital showrooms. There's VR. I mean, we're talking future, right? There, there, there may be ways. Um, the whole schedules behind fashion weeks may change and may become different. So, you know, what, what happens now may not be the same in future, but it's certainly been a challenge. Hmm. Another myth about women in work, according to this study, is that senior women leaders pull up the career ladder behind them. And that's particularly resonant in an industry like fashion, which is supposed to be super competitive, super bitchy, yeah. super, you know, what, that's the myth. According to this, the reality is that senior women actively seek out other women to join them. What's been your experience? The latter, for sure. I mean, we started off with talking about the, the women I've, I've worked for, the women I've worked with, um, and, you know, those were the, the high-profile ones. But I could name someone who's, you know, 
not as high profile, a woman called Erica Ventley. I started off at Portero, the startup. And um, here I was, you know, many, many years her junior. She could have been so territorial. She could have, and she, she wasn't. She showed me the ropes and she helped me and she put me forward and she was happy for me to talk in meetings. And, and, and I learned from that and, and I thought, this is how I want to behave. So I think um, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds. I think maybe fashion has had for years a bad name. I think that's changing. Um, I was so happy uh, at, the, uh, at the Fashion Awards in December to hear Meghan Markle on stage talk about the fact that, um, you know, it used to be cool to be cruel in fashion and it's cool to be kind. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have put it better. And coming from her um, on such a big, you know, the platform she gives to that message, I hope that trickles down. And I've personally not seen it. And certainly if I see it and I see that behavior in teams or I've seen it, um, you, you've got a, a, a bad apple. You've got to get rid of that straight away. Hmm. Uh, one final myth that I wanted to address, because um, there's a lot on here, but hmm. I think this is an important one. And it's something that I've read about elsewhere is that um, women don't get to the top because they lack confidence. And that's the myth. But according to the reality here, women, it says women are clear about their abilities and careful not to oversell themselves. So don't confuse women's balanced self-presentation with a lack of confidence. But I kind of disagree with this because I think that, you know, other studies that I've seen have said that men are just much better about advocating for themselves. Oh. They, you know, they just... We, maybe. We, 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 we're more assertive. Yeah. We stand up for ourselves. And, you know, part of, part of what it takes to be successful, whether you're a man or a woman, is to be confident. Yeah. Say, you know, this is, I deserve this. Yeah. How, what advice do you have to offer on how to, how to do that while still remaining, you know, as they say here, um, balanced about self-presentation. <laughs> that's that's uh, well said. Um, no, I, 100%. Men, men will absolutely show up having not read the documents and claim they have the whole you know, thing nailed down. Um, <laughs> I, I see it all the time. And, and, and it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of hubris and confidence. And that works in the workplace. I, you know, and you can't deny that that works. And I think women could gain a little bit more of that and, uh, and perhaps not share the fact that they're, they don't have every element of that, you know, criteria or that they haven't, you know, keep that to yourself. You don't have to share everything back to the, you know, very, uh, you know, funny fake it till you make it. But th there's an element where, you know, you, there's the, the, the public part of what you put and then there's the bit inside. And, and I think a little bit more of that confidence would serve anyone well, even a man who maybe doesn't have that, that side. So I think that goes back to the bit about maybe women not getting promoted and the fact that that seems to be the thread through those myths is actually it's more about asking for that promotion, um, making sure that you, you lay out the facts on the table, making sure that people... Um, uh, know about you and know what you've done in a, you know, in a, in, in an elegant and, and, um, fact-based way. So do you think, you know, just to twist the, mm -hmm. the kind of angle on this a bit, do you think there are things that are advantageous for women because they're women as leaders? So like the stereotype 
or general notion would be that women are more sensitive, nurturing leaders. And if you look at the world we're in today and like all of these political leaders and, you know, male CEOs saying crazy things, doing crazy things like that. There has been this movement saying that actually if the women, if the world was run by more mm. women, we might not be in the mess that we're in. What do you think of that? Yeah, um, definitely. I think, I think that skill set, again, whether it's women or men, but that sense of empathy and understanding where people are coming from. And I, I think that's a skill set that is, uh, is really key to leadership today. I think if, if you want to employ people and you know we talk about millennials but if you want to employ a workforce that is really clued up you you can't be that leader from back in the day um you've got to be a leader that uh takes people for their whole self and understands who they are and understands what their career development looks like and where they're heading and so if you call those traditionally feminine qualities, yeah. sure. Yeah. I think they should be qualities that everyone, um, and, you know, a very personal experience, and you knew, you knew him well as well. Um, my old boss and, and mentor, Mark Seba, who is the CEO of Netaporte alongside, um, you know, uh, Natalie Massenet, I, I wrote in his, in his eulogy, he led through kindness and empathy. He knew everybody's name. He thought everybody's job was as important and, as anyone else's. And yet he was from another generation. And so he had all of those sort of newfangled leadership qualities totally sewn up ages ago. So it really is about, um, you know, who you are as a person. And I think aspiring to be like that is a, is a good thing. So, yeah, more, more, more of that. I did want to pick your brain on one final thing, which is just to get some advice for companies out there. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, you mentioned earlier, some of the kind of policies that you guys have at Farfetch have been using or that you experimented with at the outnet. But for leaders of organizations, and we have some here with us tonight, and there may be many more listening on the podcast later this week. Um, what advice do you have for people running companies about how to make and create um, organizations and cultures that enable women leaders to rise? You've, you've been able to rise in multiple organizations. You're now you know, a leader at a, you know, hugely disruptive startup. Uh, you're leading the British Fashion Council. You know, what, what are the, like, two or three mm -hmm. advice that you have for other people yeah. out there running companies on what they can do to harness yeah. women's potential? So I think, I think, first of all, it's just facing up to the, to the problem and realizing that it's not something that should sit sort of on the side but that it actually should be part of, of the conversation. And one, because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's actually financially the right thing to do. I mean, there's loads and loads of studies, and I think you opened up with one of those, that companies that are more diverse and more inclusive are over the long term more profitable. Um, and so it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. And so um, bring it into the core conversation, not a policy on the side. So I think that's, that's the first step. And then um, really uh, look at what works for the business and what angle to take, but then just start to make small steps. It, I, it really is about that. There's so much theory out there, um, but it, it really is about taking small steps, looking at um, you know, family-friendly policies. Uh, I, the UK, I was proud to be... Uh, to, to live and work in this country when the government instituted the need for companies to publish their gender pay 
uh, gap. That, that was a huge step in the right direction because it forces companies to think about that. And that's something that's very tangible and that can be addressed. You look at balancing out salaries uh, for people doing equal equal jobs, you think about the distribution and you say, well, how do I make sure that I promote more leaders? Um, and, uh, and, it, and it really is, it's, it's about diversity, so gender diversity, but it's about inclusion. It goes broader than, than gender. And I think everyone rises ultimately. Okay. Well, um, I want, wanted you all to join me in thanking Stephanie for her advice. We're going to open it up to questions in a bit, but just we're going to say farewell to our podcast listeners for now. So I just wanted to thank Stephanie for all of her wisdom and thank advice. You for it's very me. great. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. That's all for my conversation with Stephanie Fair, Chief Strategy Officer of Farfetch. If you want to learn more about BUF Careers, the global marketplace for fashion talent, check out businessoffashion.com slash careers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.